Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. We're going to break down this NFL draft. Doug Farrar from Touchdown Wire at USA Today, com. And what other venues do you have, Doug? Uh, hi, guys. Good to talk to you again. Right now, Touchdown Wire is pretty much it. Okay. Um, Mark, Mark Schofield and I are, uh, are doing it over there, getting ready for the draft. Uh, Mark and I do have a podcast which we kind of shelved pre-draft because we were doing so much other stuff. Um, that's called Speaking of Everything, which you can get on Spotify and Apple and all that stuff. We'll, we'll uh, ramp that up after the draft is over and we have a little time to think. But uh, mostly on Touchdown Wire, and uh, we're just pumped out as much stuff as possible. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And, of course, uh, this draft is the weirdest. I mean, I, 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 just, I just did my uh, – it had just come out – my top 50 players in the draft of the Washington Post, and I only had 21 defensive players. And right now in my mock drafts, I still don't have a defensive player going to the 10th pick. Uh, looking at the mock that I'm publishing tomorrow, I would think I'm in the same place. Yeah, the first guy I have coming off the board is Sertan to Dallas at 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you get a few cornerbacks. Well, it's interesting because the edge rushers – and especially the interior defensive linemen. I mean, you like Barmore from Alabama. I am a huge fan of that Lee McNeil from North Carolina State. He reminds me of Grady Jarrett. Somebody is going to get that kid in the second round, and it's going to be an absolute steal. But this isn't one of those traits drafts if you need an edge rusher. It's not like some, you know, Miles Garrett is going to blow your face off and you go, oh my God, we have to take him no matter what. We'll make him work. It's, you know, if. If you like Quiddy Pay and you want someone who's sort of, you know, still needs to work on the technical refinements, but has a great athletic profile, you know, there's a lot of guys like that in this draft. Gregory Rousseau, who I think, you know, if he's there in the second round, could be a great fit for Seattle because of his ability to play both inside and outside. But again, you're dealing with a guy who needs a little bit of refinement work. Uh, Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama, may have the the lowest you know, the highest floor, but he may have the lowest ceiling. So you don't have those dominant defensive players. I think Sertan is kind of the surest thing if you need a press zone or press man corner. He's dominant in that regard. Um, you know, J.C. Horn, he's, he's, he reminds me a bit in the athletic profile of Richard Sherman where he's really handsy. He's really aggressive. and it, So, you know, my, my point is, there isn't one of those defensive players in this draft where you just go, oh, my gosh, this is the guy. And there's at least one in Trevor Lawrence. Where, And it's funny because we all have you know, slotted Trevor to Jacksonville, so we're kind of moving on to other guys. And I was doing a piece this week on the best quarterbacks against different kinds of coverage, and I watched Trevor Lawrence tape again for the first time in like a month and a half, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is why. This mm-hmm. is why. This is why they're calling him generational. There isn't a generational, and we sort of do the annual generational thing at this point, which is annoying, but there isn't a generational defensive prospect in this draft class. And that's okay. You just, you, you know, as a team, you have to figure out what guy works for you. Yeah, and of course, I mean, at defensive tackle, you may only have like two, maybe three defensive tackles in the most taken in the first two rounds, and you may only have two safeties taken in the first two rounds. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about safety this year, um, I did the top 11 safety list for Touchdown Wire, so I studied those guys a lot. 
not just their tape, but where they lined up. And coming out of this draft class, there is no true free safety. There is no guy who, of his 800 snaps, played 700 at free safety. He played 400 at free. He played, you know, 250 in the box. He played 150 in the slot. Um, so you have, like, Trevon Morig, who I compared to Micah Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, he was a multi-position guy at Alabama, multi-position guy in Miami. The Steelers traded for him. They turned him into one of the best free safeties in the NFL. And they, you know, just play here. I think Mulrig could be that guy. Javon Holland from Oregon and Elijah Molden from Washington, who some people call a corner, some people call a safety. It's, it's, it's really, the lines are really blurred right now. But that's, you know, the safety class is weird primarily because there isn't an Earl Thomas or an Ed Reed. There isn't that deep third eraser, so to speak. But the way safeties are playing in college really mirrors how most safeties play in the NFL these days. You don't have a guy playing 95% of his snaps at free. He's all over the place. That's just how the NFL is. So um, I think when you look at safeties in this, in this class, certainly – it's one of those things where I think linebackers are the same way with JOK and Micah Parsons. You've got guys in three or four different positions, and it's not ancillary. All those positions are primary. And, again, that's the way the NFL is going, too. Yeah. I know one of the things that I was looking at because of what ended up happening uh, is that you know started to do the draft, and I thought that maybe Micah Parsons is going to be too good of a player for the Giants to pass up at number 11, you know, and where they're looking to maybe they, they could go for a pay. Uh, as an edge rusher, or they can maybe go for an offensive lineman. But what's so weird about it, you know, if you, the way my came out is that if you put, uh, you know, Parsons at uh, 11, it makes everything all rolled down because it gets now the Chargers to take a cornerback, JC, over a, uh, you know, or overtaking a uh, offensive lineman, a tackle, because they can get a tackle in the second round. So, I mean, it's kind of weird how that middle shifts. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in my latest mock, I have Micah going to the Washington football team at 19, and if they get him, that's going to be the NFL's best defense next year because they're set up at every other position. The, the William Jackson acquisition was particularly brilliant. But, yeah, it is interesting how these guys are differently rated by different teams. Um, I, you know, the Seahawks play more base than any other defense. They want three linebackers on the field. You don't know how they would, you know, Owusu Kormora or Micah Parsons or any of those guys who play three or four different positions. So again, you get into team sort of need and what teams are going to do. As far as the Giants, I mean, all Gettleman has talked about is we need to give Daniel Jones more playmakers so we can accurately assess how good he is before we have to deal with fifth-year options and second contracts and all that. So I think they go best available weapon. But, you know, trying to predict what Gettleman does. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> smarter people than me have tried that and, and failed. So <laughs> there you go. No, that's true. Let's kind of go through the NFC West. <clears throat> we start with San Francisco, third pick. They supposedly are debating, you know, with the personnel people, you know, wanting to take uh, Trey, Trey Lance and you've got uh, Kyle Shanahan looking at Mac Jones. Uh, you can see that they won't do Justin Fields because he holds on to the ball for 2.96 seconds, and that's not something that Kyle Shanahan wants, and he's not necessarily big on the athleticism of the quarterback. So uh, what do you see happening with the 49ers? I think it's, 
beyond the whole Jimmy Garoppolo thing, and we don't even know if he'll be alive this Sunday. That's yeah, kind of dark, Kyle. Jeez. Um, I think I think the Niners moving up to three is a fascinating referendum on the importance of certain traits at the quarterback position in 2021 as opposed to, say, 2000. Because I think if Mac Jones had come out in – 2000, when you wanted a Peyton Manning, when you wanted a Phillip Rivers, when you wanted, you wanted a pocket quarterback who could process quickly and make all the throws. I think in a draft like that, Mac Jones would be the consensus number one overall quarterback, and I don't think we'd even be arguing about that because that's what Mac Jones does well. He is a post-snap processor with excellent pocket movement. But he has very little mobility. And when people compare him to Kirk Cousins, I just laugh because Kirk Cousins is one of the three or four best boot action quarterbacks in the NFL. Mac Jones almost never runs boot. And I talked to Mac Jones at his pro day and he said, well, I can run boot. They just didn't want me to. And I'm like, yeah, Mac, there's a reason they didn't want you to. If you could run boot, they have you running boot. But I think in 2021, and John, you and I discussed this off the air before we started this podcast, Second reaction ability is so crucial to quarterback success in today's NFL. Um, up here in Seattle, where you and I are, we've seen it for years, Russell Wilson. It's certainly what Lamar, you know, Lamar Jackson's mobility is his 104-mile-an-hour fastball. It's his unhittable pitch. It makes up for the things he can't yet do. And in today's NFL, with all these different blitzes and all these different stunts, and defenses are more variable than ever, if you're chained to the pocket in the way that Mac Jones is, I think it's a real problem. And yes, Kyle Shanahan is the best offensive play designer in the NFL, but there's a senior way out of that. So for me, if they take Mac Jones at three, it says to me that Kyle Shanahan believes his system and his scheme and his offensive talent transcends where the NFL is going. That's a bold statement to make. And whether it blows up in his face or not, we won't know for a number of years. Um, and a lot of this depends. I mean, I was talking to Randy Hedberg, Trey Lance's quarterback coach at North Dakota State. Even Hedberg believes that in the NFL, Lance would benefit from sitting a year. Now, Lance also threw, you know, why throw back and a lot of the, the concepts that are common to Kyle Shanahan's scheme. Um, I think the best fit for Kyle Shanahan would be Zach Wilson from BYU because Zach ran, you know, a lot of boot, a lot of play action. If you look at what Kyle Shanahan wants in a quarterback, I think Zach Wilson fits the suit best. But we don't know if Zach Wilson will be there at three. The Jets no. might take him at two, and that throws the whole thing into a tizzy. So, and obviously Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala are buds. So maybe Kyle has called up Robert Sala, his old defensive coordinator, and said, hey, who are you taking it to? We're taking Zach Wilson. Oh, okay. I'm going to trade up to three, and I'm going to take Mac Jones. That's my guy. And if that's his guy, I think if you trade up to three for a facilitator and kind of a point guard – and a quarterback who can't do a lot of the second reaction things that are required in today's NFL, I think it's a mistake. Um, as far as Justin Fields and his processing speed, I was kind of on that bandwagon until I got a look at Ohio State's playbook and the number of option routes they have in that playbook. It's a lot more complicated than just a bunch of RPOs and waiting for your receivers to beat corners, which is kind of what Alabama's offense was last year. I would I would posit that Ohio State Justin Fields ran a more complex offense than Mac Jones did. So we talk about processing speed and you know first read guy and all that. There may be other factors that uh, shouldn't be considered that are being considered. 
Um, I think we can all deduce what I mean by that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in in order of to 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 encapsulate, in order of, and I did a whole thing on this, like the guys I think would best fit what Shanahan wants to do. Um, I would rank Mac Jones last, and then Fields, and then Lance, and then Zach Wilson because they're not going to get Trevor Lawrence, and they're probably not going to get Zach Wilson. So I would probably go with Trey Lance if they want Garoppolo for another year at you know twenty six million-dollar cap charge as opposed to two-point-something dead money if they cut him. You know, if they need a guy to start now, I think they take fields. I think they should take fields. They may view Mac Jones as the most pro-ready, but again, we get into that whole, you know, high floor, low ceiling discussion, and that's a whole different story. No doubt about it. Arizona's got the 16th pick, and uh, what do you see them doing? I, I'm sure you cut off right at the end. Yeah, of that. Arizona Cardinals have the 16th pick. Uh, what do you see them doing? Best cornerback available. They really need. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I have had them taking J.C. Horn because they played a ton of man coverage last year, and I think they will this year. And and that Horn really fits that profile. I think if he's there at 16, that would be a good pick. And Greg Newsom from Northwestern, who the more I watch his tape the more I think this guy is, you know, a natural man match corner, does it well over the field. He, and especially on balls of 20 yards or more, he's just an eraser. He does not allow deep completions. Um, really nice athletic profile. I think he's a guy who could be taken a lot sooner in the draft than people imagine. And if you went at 16, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Now, Seattle has the 56th pick, but they only have three draft choices, a second, a fourth, and a seventh. What do you see falling to them, and will John Snyder trade down a little bit to get more picks? Oh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he's trying his best just to do that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really depends on what cornerbacks are there. Um, you're, you're dealing with kind of a drop-off after the top four. And then it becomes if uh, Melifonwu from Syracuse is there, he's a traits guy, aggressive corner, good zone press and man match and all that. He'd be a nice fit. Um, I think they could use some help at cover safety, depending on how they want to deploy Jamal Adams. That's not really his thing. Quandre Diggs has been good at that. Um, you know, I think they need if they're looking for that sort of. Michael Bennett, tone setter, both inside and outside. I think Greg Rousseau uh, would be a good fit. Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech, um, kind of an underrated guy, but can also do those things. Um, I, you know, they they should, in my opinion, probably be looking edge to inside first. Sort of that guy who can move around because it's always been a, a, a really huge part of Pete Carroll's defense, and they haven't had it for the last couple of years. Um, I could see them... You know, as I said, it's it's not like there are obvious tone setters with the edge rushing class, which actually goes nicely for Seattle with no first-round pick because there may be a pool of guys there who can do a couple of things they want, and they can just pick one off. Hmm. Interesting. What uh, And what about a, a, thir- a third receiver? I mean, a receiver in the second round or fourth round? Uh, there are some interesting guys there. I'm looking at my list here. And I don't, I mean, it, it depends on where you have. Amon Ross, St. Brown's from USC. I like him a lot. 
Uh, Danny Brown from North Carolina is a guy who is getting a lot more play as a second to third round guy in recent times. I think Rondale Moore from Purdue, and I don't know if he'll make it out of the first round. I think someone's going to take him and get the next Steve Smith. Um, 5'7", 181, so that's a problem in a lot of people's minds. But when you watch him on tape, he just he gets things done. And it, yards after catch monster uh, in a timing and rhythm passing game, I think he'd be a star. I think he'd be excellent in that, in that sort of that sort of offense. Mm-hmm. And what you would have, safe to say that the Rams, who don't have a first round pick, probably will start. Uh, their first pick in the second round being an offensive lineman? You think. You think. And there are some interesting guys who could be second rounders, could be third rounders, who are not necessarily finished, but have a lot of the things you want, say, in an offensive tackle. A guy that comes to mind is Sam Cosby from Texas. I think of any... And I compared him to Colton Miller of the Raiders, who in his first couple of years was like, whoa, this guy's not ready. And then the coaching kicked in, and all of a sudden he was technique perfect, and everything just worked. Cosme has all the movement skills you'd want, all the agility, a lot of the power. He just tends to lose guys and have these monstrous whiffs because he's not necessarily technically ready yet. But when he gets there, I think he could be special. So for the Rams... You don't have a first-round pick. If you have a need at offensive tackle or offensive line overall, you got to sort of look at, okay, now you've got guys with dings. What are the dings? Is he just fundamentally functionally limited, or does he have great movement skills and a lot of power, and he just needs to be taught how to do this? And if it's the latter, you know, you start in the second round and go down, those are the kinds of guys you want to go with. And, of course, as as you mentioned, of course, what what do you have on touchdown wire uh, as we get next to this, Doug Farrar? Uh, touchdown wire right now, we've got Mark Schofield's mock draft. Uh, I have my uh, piece up called the Shanahan Index, which is which draftable quarterback best fits the 49ers offense, which apparently the one who doesn't is the guy they're going to take in Mac Jones. Uh, I have the riskiest boom bus prospects, uh, player comparisons for our top 50 guys, all kinds of stuff. Oh, great stuff. Hey, Doug Farrar, thanks for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.